Good morning, church. Good to see everybody here. Good to hear your voices and song. If you're a guest with us, special welcome to you. My name is Kelly. I serve as senior pastor. It's a pleasure to serve here at Glowing Bible Church. Open with me to Hebrews in chapter 5. We're in a series in Hebrews. If you're joining us for the first or second time, uh, we're about uh, halfway through and we'll keep plugging away at it this morning. The author of Hebrews closes chapter 5 with the clarion call to spiritual maturity. He wrote, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Milk or meat, solid food? Milk or meat? Where are you in the progress of your spiritual journey? Newborn? No shame in that. Praise God. We all were at an infant stage in our faith at one point. No shame in that. But God in his goodness towards us doesn't want us to stay infants, right? He wants us to grow up, go on to maturity, which means a change in diet. We know this biologically it is true spiritually as well. There is not another species on the planet that has a longer stage of functional dependence than humans. Functional independence is marked by th the ability to do things like walk and talk and feed oneself. Most, I see some babies in the room, but most of us we can walk and talk and feed ourselves. You did a great job getting out, getting here this morning. Well done. You're independent in many respects. But this means that among all species of animals, humans are some of the most helpless at birth. Have you ever thought about this? It takes us longer than almost any other species to become independent. I'll give you an example. Compare humans with horses. When when deer or horses are born, they can almost immediately, almost immediately, they can stand, they're soon able to feed themselves, while humans don't walk and talk and feed themselves for years. Yet as adults, we're the highest functioning, most of us, species, <laughs> yay, you're awake, good job. Yet as adults, we're the highest functioning species on the planet. Scientists call these two different types of babies, altricial and precocial. That'll be on the test later this week. Altricial babies are born helpless. They're born helpless. They require care. Their brains are not fully developed and they are completely dependent on others. That's our experience. Precocial babies are near fully functional at birth. What might we learn, what might we learn spiritually from this reality? I ask because childhood is used in scripture at several junctures to describe the nature of our beginning relationship with God, but also the ongoing interaction we're to have with God. Jesus said, John chapter 3, you, you must be born again. You must. It's not you should or you ought or it's, it'd be a good idea. 
you gotta. You gotta be born again. In other words, it's not enough to simply understand the gospel. Head knowledge. We must be born into it like it's an experience. We must be born into it like children are born into the world. Biologically helpless and dependent, which means that there's an altricial experience of utter dependence that we must all have if we're going to relate to God. You must be born again. You must enter the kingdom of heaven completely, utterly dependent. In fact, if you've not yet had that experience, we'd encourage you to seek that out this morning. How does this happen? How do we enter the kingdom of heaven? How do we have that complete, utter dependence moment experience? Well, Matthew recorded in the gospel... His gospel, Jesus explaining how this works. It's Matthew chapter 18. So Matthew's writing, he says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, so his closest followers came to him and they said, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, I picture them circled up. Hey, which of us is the most impressive? Who's got the place of most prominence? And Jesus says, oh my. He brings this little child over and stands the little child in the middle, uses the child as a teaching prop, says to them, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is humble is actually the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So their initial question, who who among us is the most impressive, the greatest? The one who's humbled like a little child. Humble like a little child. There was a point in all our lives when our parents clothed us, fed us, provided shelter for us. In the same way, Scripture teaches that we must turn and in humility admit our complete and utter dependence upon God for salvation. We are children, spiritually, as we cry out to God for help. Right? I didn't set this up, but there's a little baby here that's helping make the point. And it's beautiful, right? We're children spiritually when we cry out to God for help with our sinfulness. That's what children do. They cry out for their needs to be met. That is how we enter the kingdom of heaven. Through dependence on God our Father. Like little children depend on their parents. Rather than asserting our power and our authority like adults are so often prone to do, trained to do, right? At work, step up, man, step up. Uh, Produce, right? Show your power, show your authority, take your spot in the community. That's the call on adults. 
Yet we are to admit our need for God's care by placing our faith in Jesus' death for the forgiveness of sins. Care for us. We cry out as kids would cry out to their parents. Placing our dependence on Jesus' resurrection for eternal life. We can't provide life to ourselves. No one in this room was in charge of their own biological birth. Spiritually, we cry out to God, bring us to new life in Christ. If you've never cried out to God like a little child, if it's making sense to you in a way that it's not before, you can cry out to God. He'll save you from your sin. He'll provide for you in your sinfulness. He'll care for you in your sinfulness. You can do that right where you're sitting. Talk to God like you would, well, talk to your parents. Expressing your needs in childlike fashion. Admitting your sinfulness. Asking for forgiveness and presenting your request to him, Scripture says. What if God in his sovereignty designed humans as altricial, functionally helpless, biologically at the time of birth, having this long stage that leads up to independence, and sociologically it looks like it's getting longer and longer. The runway, right, for young adults is longer and longer. Economic issues, right, blah, 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 blah. But what if that runway of early infancy and early childhood and the dependence of and the bond between father and child what if it's a giant metaphor designed by God in his sovereignty to help us understand and see with great clarity exactly what it means to follow Christ depend upon Christ to be his children and for him to be our father okay shift gears a little bit Although we are to be childlike in our faith, right? Absolutely, we're to be childlike in our faith. We're not to be childish. Every metaphor has its limits, which means you can always stretch an example too far. And it's important to understand that there's a difference between being childlike and being childish. We're to be childlike, we're not to be childish. For example, children are fairly easily fooled. They tend to accept things without question, often being drawn into falsehood. And while God would have us to live in a posture of humble dependence upon him for salvation, the forgiveness of sins, he'd not have us be easily duped folks. Childlike innocence with regard to sin is beautiful, it's laudable. That's certainly what God would have for us naivete, gullibility, is not at all what God would have for his people. Childlike in our dependence, but not childish. I'll give you another example. Children are fairly self-absorbed. <laughs> Children are selfish many, many times. They must actually be taught to share, <laughs> be kind. They can be willful. Obviously, God does not want us to emulate children in this regard. God wants us to be childlike in our dependence, but he calls us at the same time to go on to maturity. Paul writes to the Corinthian Christians, When I was a child, 
I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. What he's talking about is the self-absorbed posture and the selfishness and the naivete, the gullibility. Have we put away childish things, spiritually speaking? And I pose the question, realizing that in a room this size, this many people, some of us are, are infants, and rightly so, just having come to faith, and some of us are elementary age, middle school, right? We're all along the, the progression, teenagers, young adults, spiritually speaking, we're, we're maturing. But it's really clear that we're, we're to put away childishness. Things that, like self-absorption and naivete and selfishness. We're going to go on to maturity. There's to be development. We're never to leave our childlike dependence upon God's grace. We are to grow. Paul wrote to Pastor Timothy about the experience of growing. He writes, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. We, if you're trusting, if you've cried out as a child, you're crying out for God's grace, the gift of salvation. It's appeared. Christ has appeared. We can cry out and our needs as uh, dependent, uh, weak humans who can't provide for our own salvation. We can receive the gift of God. This grace, Paul writes, it teaches us. It teaches us. There's a progress. We mature. It teaches us what? It teaches us to say no to childishness, no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Too often it seems that Christians have not simply been saved by grace, they've actually been paralyzed by it, believing that nothing is expected of those whom God has redeemed. But in today's passage, in the book of Hebrews, the author directs us in no uncertain terms, grow, grow up, go on to maturity. He actually has some fairly harsh words, or they feel prickly to me. Follow along as you read Hebrews. I'm going to begin in 5.8 and read through 6.3. So from, from the tail end of chapter 5 into the first portion of chapter 6. Some of these verses will sound familiar to you if you were with us last week in worship. Uh, so I'm going to start off where we closed last week, talking about Melchizedek. And it's interesting, I heard from several in uh, the congregation last week that they enjoyed learning about Melchizedek and how it was framed. It's interesting to, to read a little bit further and to hear the, the author's um, criticism of the uh, original recipients of this letter, his criticism that, well, they really aren't wanting to grow. So Hebrews 5.8, it's on the screen. It's talking about Jesus at the beginning here. Son, though he was, son of God, he learned, interesting, even our Savior, as fully God and fully man, had a growth in his life. He learned where to learn. Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. If you're suffering, there's opportunity in that to learn. 
And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Christ is our eternal source of salvation our, uh, because of what he suffered on the cross, uh, his movement as a man to death, um, he's provided for us. And he was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Again, that was last week's sermon. If that name is foreign to you, uh, go back and listen. Um, it's an Old Testament type that uh, foreshadows Christ's ministry to us. Verse 11, we have much to say to you about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you're no longer, you no longer try to understand. Uh, if you're, this is the NIV. If you're reading from other uh, translations, for example, the ESV, uh, the critique here is actually you're dull of hearing. You're hard of hearing or you're disinterested in hearing or I can't get through to you. Verse 12, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you should have made progress in your faith, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Reminds me of uh, having to repeat a grade. I grew up in the generation that if you didn't perform well, you actually had to go through it all again. Um, so you need, you need to go through it all again, these elementary truths. You need milk, not meat. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, we've read this already, I opened with this, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, godliness, the goal. But solid foods for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. All right, chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, because of this, let's move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. These are the elementary truths. Instruction about cleansing rites, picture baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are a smattering of the elementary truths. Let's, let's not go through that again. And God permitting, we'll do so. We'll go on to maturity. We'll pause there. Are you acquainted with the teaching about righteousness? They were not. The goal is that we not remain infants, drinking only milk, but that we actually cut our teeth on the meat, the solid food, which means being thoroughly acquainted with the call to maturity, the call to grow up and go on in our godliness, to be self-controlled, live upright in godly lives. How do we get there? Well, the author of Hebrews says in verse 14, solid foods for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves. If you have your copy of God's word open, man, just circle trained, constant use. Many of you are athletes, right? They've trained themselves to what? To distinguish good from evil. We must move from milk to meat by constantly training ourselves to distinguish between good and evil and then to consistently select the good, to emulate the character and the conduct and the concerns of Christ. And of course, the writer of Hebrews isn't the only New Testament author to talk about the value of training. 
The apostle Paul wrote to Pastor Timothy, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the world we live in and the world we're headed to. You can benefit yourself, yeah, by going to the gym. It's got some value. Walking on the treadmill or lifting some weights, it's good for the body. But there's a spiritual reality that benefits this life and it benefits us in the life to come. There's a training to be had. Do you know the difference between training and trying? I have talked about this several times. The last time I mentioned this, I believe, was 2017. I keep a list of the illustrations I offer so as not to bore the congregations too much. This one is one of my favorite, so bear with me if you remember it. The difference between training and trying. Some of us are simply trying to follow Jesus. We need to be training as followers of Jesus. Trying is to make a singular attempt to try to walk up to a barbell, right? You've never lifted before. You bend over, you know, use your legs, not your back, right? You're trying to, going to pick up this huge weight. You've never done it before, but you're going to give it a try. Training, on the other hand, is the work of gradually building strength over time by regularly practicing an activity. If I want to lift a heavy barbell that I've never lifted before, the training would, would be distinct from the trying, and I have a personality that's more prone to, let's try it. Right? Ready, fire, aim. That's me. But training in godliness, we mean starting with the lighter weights and building strength over time so that you know that you can lift this increased weight. That's what Scripture has in mind for us. Spiritually speaking, too many Christians are simply trying to follow Jesus rather than training in godliness as followers. Don't get me wrong, it's great to try to follow Jesus. I'm sure that God would much rather have us try to follow Jesus than not try at all. But simply trying to follow Jesus rarely results in godliness. It most often results in discouragement. Pulled muscles. There was a season in my life where, uh, I know you can't tell, but I actually went to the gym four times last week, right? But there was a season in my life where I just went to the gym often enough to stay perpetually sore, right? Once a week, so that you're perpetually sore. The same is true spiritually. If we try something just often enough to stay perpetually discouraged, then we're not going to go on and grow up and go to godliness. Some of us have tried to pray for hours, tried, rather than training for minutes. Some of us have tried to fast for a week, rather than than fasting for a single meal. Some of us have tried to give 10% away to the kingdom of God and, and his purposes, having never given any money before, rather than starting with 1% of our income and then gradually going to 2%. 
Some of us have tried to serve as small group leaders, never having attended a small group before. That's not real wise. Some of us have tried to memorize an entire book of the Bible, just to bait you a little bit. Last week on the podcast, we have a podcast, one of the folks on the podcast had memorized the entire book of Hebrews. That's pretty, that's some training. Some of us have tried to memorize an entire book of the Bible rather than starting with the single verse. It's heroic to try, but let's be honest, how many of us have either said to ourselves or have heard someone say before with regard to spiritual disciplines, well, I tried that. It didn't work for me. Exactly. Exactly. There is a better way. Instead of simply trying, let's train as followers of Jesus. How will Christians go from drowning in contemporary culture to living lives of godliness? They will do so by slowly building strength over time. Discipline is an essential activity of a disciple's life. It's it's no surprise that one of the nine fruit of the Spirit listed is self-control. You, by the Spirit, you have the power to move from one minute of prayer a day to two minutes, to three minutes, to 60 minutes, to 120 minutes. The Spirit of God is in you, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You have the power in you to go from bowing to the idol of money to giving in a disciplined fashion and growing as a giver. Jesus trained. This should encourage us. Remember the word from Hebrews 5. Son though he was, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He moved from faithful in the little things to the greatest act of faithfulness in the history of the world, giving his life as a ransom for many while he was sinless. So often we visualize only the spectacular moments in Christ's life when he's walking on water or healing lepers or casting out demons. But those are the spectacular moments. There were many, many other moments of quiet, private training, disciplining his flesh. If you're someone who seldom prays, begin by praying only a few minutes. Don't jump into the deep end of the pool. That's where people drown that can't swim. Start in the shallow end of the pool, but don't stay in the shallow end of the pool. We should ask ourselves, not, how I wa- not simply how I want to pray today, but the type of person of prayer I want to be 12 months from now, 24 months from now. Not simply, what am I going to give today? to the kingdom of God financially and in service. And we have a lot of need for volunteers at Glenn Bible Church, Poplar Creek Campus, our other campus. We have a need, an acute need. We need people to serve. But it's not simply about today. It's who do we want to be as servants of God 12 months and 24 months from today? And how are we going to get the plane off the ground? How are we going to grow up and go on to maturity? We're going to start with faithful in the little things and grow over time. What do I want my giving habits to be two years from now? And how can I get there? 
Stop simply trying to follow Jesus. Let's train together, which means moving beyond the elementary teachings. There's a little list in Hebrews 6, 1 through 2 of the elementary teachings. They're on the screen. Repentance from acts that lead to death, faith in God. They're, they're couples. There's, it's three sets of couplets. Instructions about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. All these teachings were common in the Old Testament beliefs. They were current practices among the Hebrew community, the Jews of that day. These would have been familiar to the listeners, to the readers. When they were first evangelized and first came to follow Jesus, these things were foundational in the way that they were making progress in faith, in faith of Christ. So when 6.1 says that we should leave this behind, what he means is that we should make progress, not simply in head knowledge, but in activity. Remember, spiritual maturity is always defined by more than simply knowing the truth, but ultimately by emulation of Christ himself. It matters what our bodies and minds engage in. It matters that we serve. It matters that we give read scripture, fast, pray, gather in fellowship, sing together, forgive one another. Not because these are religious activities that make us a good person, but because they're activities that Christ was a part of. These are the activities of our Savior. They're the training activities offered for us as we emulate our Savior. We grow into his likeness. In Ephesians, Paul wrote about attaining to the full measure of Christ, the fullness of Christ, not just knowing about him, but when people look at you, they, they see that you're a follower of Christ. You have his character, his conduct, his concerns. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. It's the fivefold ministry to equip him. Why? Why did he give these folks to the church? To equip his people for works of service. Not just filling our head, but moving our bodies so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The goal is far more than simply knowing. We sit we listen to God's word, read publicly, someone expound on it, but then we go out and we want to take action. We, want to, we don't want to just be hearers of the word, we want to be doers of the word. The writer of Hebrews says that they should have been teachers by this time. That they should have been so active and mature in their faith that they could train others, disciple makers, Helping people follow Jesus. That's what we're about here. That's the goal, is that you would find a place in the congregation where you're helping others, that you're teaching and instructing others. They need to get busy in godliness. The problem was, was fruitfulness. In fact, this whole book of Hebrews is written to help them press on towards holiness, the author seems to feel as though they're going to backslide. They're going to give it up. They're going to stop trying. And the good news I already mentioned is that God has provided us the power we need to go on to maturity. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead 
lives in us. So although much in the world encourages childishness, the reality is that God has called us to be holy and enabled us to do the same. I'll pray for us. Father, we ask for your goodness to us as a people. Forgive us for our childishness and call us to childlike humility, dependence. Forgive us for simply trying to follow your son and teach us to train ourselves. Father, give us concrete goals by your spirit. Not to earn favor with you. We have all your favor shown towards us in Christ. You love us perfectly. But give us concrete goals to train ourselves so that we can grow up and enjoy the blessing of the fullness of Christ. The freedom and the joy and the love and the peace and the patience that are ours in Christ. It's for your glory that we pray this and it's for our own good we ask for these things. Amen. Well, this morning, if you want prayer, we all need prayer. If you want prayer, down front, John Vanderveld will be on this side. And our new middle school director, I'll introduce her a little better in a moment at the end of the service. Rachel Simino will be down front. She'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer, if you want prayer, come on down. Let's stand up. We'll close in song this morning.